And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And welcome aboard on this Saturday, September the 9th, 2017. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist, Bonza Tufa, running the board to make sure things go smoothly. And that's a 50-50 proposition because of that, Craig. Yeah. But this is the Bat Around. Welcome in. Here's what we've got for you today on the show at about 10.15. My second cousin... I don't mean second in the number like I've got a first and a second. He is a second cousin of mine, Eddie Matz of ESPN.com. Very good sports writer, baseball writer, and generally a good guy, too. He joins us to talk a little bit about the teams that he covers, the Nationals and uh, the Baltimore Orioles. At about 1040, an old friend who used to do Oriole telecasts in Baltimore on, on home team sports, And I think he did a year of Masson, I think. I do believe so. Yeah, Michael Regai, who lives in the Cleveland area, will join us to talk about this amazing run that the uh, Terry Francona-led Cleveland Indians are on, one that has seen them win 16 games in a row. And, Craig, it's one thing to win 16 in a row. During those 16 games, they've outscored their opponents 114-28, to They've had five team shutouts during that time and only been behind in two games, and I probably think that's probably maybe a total of four or five innings in the 16 games. You know, it's funny. Everybody talked about and has been talking about what the Orioles need to do to make the playoffs and things of that nature, and they always say, well, they got to get on a hot run. This is the definition of a hot run. Yeah. Uh, this makes seven in a row that we did about right. three weeks ago. They have not lost since August 23rd. It's incredible. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that this team uh, was the team to beat and is the team to beat in the American League, uh, despite uh, all the Red Sox accolades throughout the year and what the Houston Astros have been doing. Uh, but everybody kind of thought this was the team to beat and whether or not you know, they, they get a healthy Andrew Miller back and things of that nature because I think that is exactly imperative for them to have to go for the to, postseason for the postseason yeah. to make a deep run. But what they're doing right now without a couple of key guys is pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, I now see it's it's really fascinating. You know, I've this is my sixth year doing the baseball my own version of the baseball power rankings. And I was right on the money when the Dodgers were about to get hot. They moved up. They were number two behind the Astros back in early June. Where are they now? (laughs) Well, they were number one coming into this week, but the confluence of what's happening where they've lost eight in a row and 13 out of 14, and the Indians winning 16 in a row, the Indians have been number two now for about three or four weeks. I think the Indians moved to one. The Dodgers moved to two. Houston probably stays three temporarily. They just moved from seven to three when they acquired Verlander. And the Nationals, will they might move into three now. They are only five and a half games behind the Dodgers. Right. And, uh, and they got the Dodgers next weekend. And they got the Dodgers next weekend at home. 
Uh, it's a pretty incredible run that they're on right now as uh, Max Scherzer won his 14th last night. Wild game down there last night with 11-10 to 10 Nationals holding on uh, to win. Tell uh, us about Michael Taylor's night, well, Michael, Michael A. Taylor. Michael A. Taylor last night goes four for five. What's the A stand for? Uh, awesome? Uh, well, last <laughs> night it, it stood for assist last night right? Uh, because he nailed a guy at the plate uh, on a sacrifice fly or what would have been a sacrifice fly had he scored. Uh, but Michael A. Taylor, four for five last night, a career-high five RBI, including an inside-the-park Grand Slam homer, which was just a rocket into center field, which Odubel Herrera came in and kind of misjudged. He made a leap right at the end, and uh, it's one of the ho- toughest things to do for an outfielder is that ball that's hit right at you because sometimes you don't know whether it's going to sail on you. You don't know whether it's going to dive down. Well, it sailed on him, and he kind of misjudged it. He made a leap. The ball went over his glove all the way to the center field wall, and three guys scored. And then uh, I, I will say this, a good relay throw probably got Taylor at the plate by about five or ten feet. But he slid around uh, the, the catcher and then uh, missed the plate sliding around him, but then just kind of crawled back and tagged it with his hand inside the park grand slam. And, uh, you know, Taylor's been on the uh, opposite end of that before in his career. And he also had one uh, against the Dodgers with Puig at at, uh, at Nats Park a few years back where Puig was charged with an error. Otherwise, he would have had the inside the park home run. How exciting was that at the park? Oh, I've never seen one. I mean, I know you're up pretty high. I've never seen one, you know. So, I mean, that's the old adage. You You never go to the ballpark. Always go to the ballpark because you never know what you're going to see on a given night, and that's certainly an example of it. All right. Um, by the way, at Michael Regai, at Michael Regai, and we start talking about the Indians, how good they've been, and got into the Nationals. Uh, also, Glenn Clark yesterday on his show had ESPN baseball analyst Jessica Mendoza on, and we thought that was a pretty interesting interview. They talked quite a bit about the September issues around allowing, you know all these call-ups, Buck Showalter rails against it. At the end of the day, I get that certain teams are going to end up with a little bit of advantage, but it's not like you guys get to play with 35 and I only get 29. The rules are the same, but, uh, but there is talk that why don't they sort of make it like you have to declare 25 and you'd still be able, you'd keep all your starting pitchers except one off on the side, but it would sort of make for the manager know who you've got to play with, which I do think the managers would probably like. Yeah, uh, you know. I, I don't really have a problem with it. I don't really have a, a problem with it either way. Yeah. I mean, the rules are equal for everyone. What, what, uh, did, what did Bum Phillips used to say? I'll take mine and beat urine. Yeah. You know, something like that. It still boils down to you have to beat urine, you know? Exactly. There's a line in there somewhere, but I'm not going to go there. Yeah, exactly, Exactly. like like we did last (laughs) week, urine, you know. Anyway, uh, that's what we've got on the show today. Uh, Chelsea Chelsea James James, of the Washington uh, Post. And she had an interesting uh, uh, adventure earlier in the week uh, trying to get back to D.C., uh, for last night's game. She missed her flight out of Miami on Wednesday night, I think on it was. Wednesday night, or actually maybe it could have been Thursday morning. Right. Uh, but uh, she she wound up having to drive, long story short, she wound up having to drive to Atlanta to catch a flight 
uh, back to the D.C. area, but uh, she made it back safe and sound. And, of course, everybody uh, with those three games earlier in the week on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday trying to uh, get out of Dodge as the hurricane was approaching and some of the evacuation orders that were going on, uh, she, she winds up uh, having to drive uh, a lot more uh, time on the road than, yeah, she, than she was anticipating. She was anticipating. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody in the path of this massive storm. And I'm always amazed. Uh, my cousin Ron, who's in the broadcast field, is a fabulous weather watcher, you know. And I know Mittermeier, who I used to work with, always was on top of weather. And I know you're no different. This thing, I, I really fear, and I'm not trying to be funny, I think there could be hundreds and hundreds of casualties in this thing. I think this is the worst natural disaster our country may ever suffer well, a lot of it's during gonna, our lifetime. A lot of it's going to depend on the track of it once it makes the left-hand turn as it leaves the north coast of Cuba right. and gets out back over the warm waters of the Atlantic and then also partly can, the Gulf. Can I interrupt one second? How ba- I, I never hear how bad or easy Cuba. Is Cuba getting devastated, or is it sort of off to the side a little I, bit? It's on the northern fringe of, okay. of Cuba. The, okay. I mean, it's a lot of rain, rain and wind at this point, and the, the eye of the storm was uh, like right on the north shore as it was moving uh, east to west. And then once it gets uh, over toward the Havana area, I'm sure it's going to make the the left turn, as they predict. Uh, And then it's just a matter of how it gets into into South Florida, whether or not it's more on the east side where Miami is, the the west side where Naples is. There's a a very – well, not too heavily populated area in that southwest corner – south of Naples, uh, if it hits and makes landfall there, it may not be as bad, bad. as, yeah. But if it really hits the Naples area, yeah. I mean, I'm hearing things like towns that we, uh, who who follow the Orioles and go to spring training, I'm hearing some of the small towns just adjacent to Sarasota proper, like um, Siesta Key and Longboat Key, that they could be almost wiped off the face of the earth. Well, it's uh, certainly when you talk about storm surge. Yeah, uh, that's the biggest. Uh, that's the biggest concern when you have yep. something uh, of this magnitude. It's interesting because the one thing that I think somewhat helps Western Florida is that Irma is fringing Cuba, because since the eye is fringing the land, it's weakening the hurricane. It does weaken it, but if it makes that left turn, the waters, uh, you know, between the Atlantic and then the Gulf of Mexico. Right there. Yeah, that's you're, you're some warm about, water. You're talking about 85-degree water. Also, last night, I mean, I'd heard much of yesterday, not that they were lessening the threat, but that Irma had moved to a Category 4. Last night, when I, before I went to bed in the 2 o'clock range, I'm watching the Weather Channel. It's back to being a, a Category 5, and it. I'm watching like about a half hour of the Weather Channel or, or – I was watching a half of it during the Dodger game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been on for a little bit, and it said 19 million people under a storm warning. At 2, 2.30 in the morning, it was 23 million people mm-hmm. were under a storm warning. So this thing just, the the scope of it is somewhat unpredictable, uh, and it 
does depend, like you say, where it actually really hits. Right, and and which which track it takes once it gets to land, because obviously if it goes, if it kind of goes up through central Florida, it, it's going to weaken the hurricane. But yeah. then what you wind up having is a lot of rain, rain a lot of wind. If if there's a, I hate a, when we get wane and, and yeah wind. exactly. Yeah. But there's a situation where if it goes to the east coast, uh, which it doesn't appear like it's going to right, right. now, then you're you're talking about places in South Carolina and North Carolina yeah. who have to be prepared yeah. as well. Uh, left Tampa under the, under the watch, watch at this point. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this is nothing to mess around with. So how it's affected uh, the calendar in sports, uh, the Miami Dolphins, and I got to be honest with you. It strikes me as odd that the Dolphins and Tampa Bay are scheduled to play the beginning of September, the end of the first week right. of the season. It would seem like you'd want them to play mid-October on rather than have a game between two Florida teams because of the possibility of this. Well, you I, know. I don't think that makes a whole lot of difference. I mean, you know, to me, the possibility, how often does the hurricane you know, yeah, come through. I mean, I mean, I don't think anybody a couple of years away makes a schedule looking at it that way. But what is that's in the bus that three college football games, right? Florida State, Miami, uh, UFC, I think too as well. They were all, all wiped all off, postponed. postponed yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Tampa Bay Rays are leaving Boston, and we're due to go back home for a big three-game series against the Yankees. And I say big. Not so much for the standings anymore. Tampa's, you know, they've made they've dug their hole too deep, I think. Um, but but now, and there was rumors that they were going to move the games to New York or to Baltimore or were, Chicago. Chicago, I never yeah. had heard Chicago, yeah. uh, but they ended up electing to do it in New York at City Field, which seems like still a slight advantage to the Yankees, somewhat. But I guess. You know, when you got two teams you're talking about, it's just as well to have one of them be able to sleep in their own beds. Well, I it's guess. a Major League Baseball decision, too, yeah. and uh, they have the final and word. And they couldn't possibly make a mistake. Uh, no, of course not, no. But they have uh, they had the final word on it. So Four games. Um, this uh, Cleveland Indian team, uh, how good do you think they are right now? Well, I think they're as good as everybody kind of thought they were going to be. Uh, the team that made the World Series last year from the American League, and I, I think a lot of people thought that this team was probably en route to going again this year, and uh, this this stretch that they're on right now pulls them away from everybody in the Central. And, uh, you know, I, I think Terry Francona is a very good manager, uh, but, but to me still one of, the, one of the biggest things when you get into the postseason and it's a shortened game for the starters, for the starters, uh, as well as you know what you're thinking about bullpen wise. I think it's imperative that this team have Trevor, uh, have uh, Miller back, Andrew yeah. Miller uh, back, uh, if they're going to make the kind of run they want to make in October and try to get back to the World Series. But uh, they're hitting on all cylinders right now, and it's a real fun team to watch unless you're playing them. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Terry Francona doing a masterful job at working this team. I mean, they're missing Jason Kipnis, yep. Michael Brantley, uh, among others, and including Andrew Miller. Plus, they've had a rough season with Danny Salazar with injury and poor performance. Uh, but, uh, you know, Salazar, as a matter of fact, because of how well Clevenger's pitching and how well Tomlin came back, 
they've moved Danny Salazar now to the bullpen to shore up that bullpen in the absence of Andrew Miller. Well, and we have uh, Brian Sinkoff uh, just texted me and said, this season's given me heartburn. One minute you think this season's over, and the next minute uh, they're back in the playoff hunt. He says, however, uh, I think uh, their starting pitcher pitching will ultimately be the final downfall, and I think most people do agree with that. He says it's just awful and routinely has them behind early in games, and that is the case. You think about the Yankee game uh, a couple of days ago, the, the makeup from the rainout on Wednesday night. They played it Thursday afternoon at Camden Yards, uh, and, and Kevin Gosman, although Buck thought he threw the ball pretty well, gets him in a 3 nothing hole early on the Aaron Judge home run, and you're fighting back from that. And then last night, no offensive run support at all uh, for Wade Miley. And here's a team now where all of a sudden the, the, the offense was going at a pretty good clip. They've scored one run now in the last two games. Uh, you know, I have to be honest. At the end of this season, we'll look back on it when we do the postmortems and Eddie Matz is on with us. And why don't we plug him in and uh, Eddie will get your thoughts on this. But the postmortems will center upon the Orioles' starting pitching. And while Bundy and Gosman have had their moments this year, they both came up incredibly small against the Yankees. Eddie, your thoughts? Yeah, no, that's, you, you nailed it. And the, the Orioles' pitching has long been the problem, right, the starting pitching. And what got them back in the hunt there was the fact that Bundy and Gosman were doing what, what we always thought they would do. They were hot, and even the guys following them were doing all right. But... You know, when they when the other guys aren't pitching well, which is kind of what we expect from like three through six in the rotation, uh, you can't have what you had from from Bundy and Gosman. Not in September. Not against the Yankees. Not against one of the teams you're trying to chase. And like, I mean, they're human, right? Like everyone's got sure. good days, bad days, on days, off days. But it's a killer. And it's, you know, with so many teams sort of in front of them, behind them, near them, they they, just, they can't afford to have that. And you know, it comes back to the fact that they're just they don't have the depth in the rotation and in order for things to work everything just has to go exactly right otherwise there's just no margin for error there well if you're the Orioles then and you know this going forward uh they're three out right now you know whatever happens the rest of the way happens but you know odds are they're not going to get into the playoffs in the postseason so if you're the Orioles going forward and you know that and you know their history as far as not spending big time money on big name free agent pitching how do you go about fixing this problem? Because it certainly doesn't look like it's going to come from the minor leagues. Well, it could, you know, if you keep Zach Davies, you know, and you keep, you know, they got Tim Beckham, you know, but Buck Showalter has made no secret about the fact that he, the guy they traded for him, Tobias Myers, is a guy that he really likes. So it's tricky, you know, the way that you, the Orioles don't do the international market, right? They're not getting guys out of the, Typically, they're not getting guys out of Venezuela and the Dominican and places like that. So if you're not going to do that, you, you really need to, to draft well and then hold on to the guys that you draft and, and develop those guys. They've had problems doing that, and then the guys that seem to have some potential, they you know they make trades in, in seasons where, okay, maybe they'll make the playoffs, maybe they won't. But you know, this, this year was a perfect example, right? Like, just because they got back in, even if, even if they made the playoffs this year, it still, to me, wasn't worth it because unless they win the World Series, that's the only thing that was going to make it worth it. But otherwise, you mortgage the future for you know the chance to have some meaningful game, games in September. And I understand that you know fans in Baltimore 
don't want to have meaningless games. I get that. Uh, but, you know, if it's a choice between having a month of meaningless games now versus having, like, four or five years of meaningless games because you, you, you have no future plan, then... If it's me, I choose the one month of meaningless game. So it's, the it's, one it's a tough situation to be in. The one difference here, Eddie, is when you look at the Andrew Miller trade and you look at the uh, Gerardo Parra move where they gave up Rodriguez and Davies, we were only going to have those players under contract and under control for two months. With Tim Beckham, they've got their starting shortstop now, and maybe it wasn't a known entity we now can see what kind of talent this guy has and playing in an environment like Baltimore versus Tampa, I think only enhances him a little bit. Uh, but it's different to have given up a guy in low a ball and have control of this guy for two more seasons or even three uh, versus what we did in the para and Andrew Miller deal. Yeah, no question. And I'm not knocking the Miller deal either. Cause that was a legit chance to win the world series and Miller was a key piece. Didn't work out the way they hoped, but that's that's fine. The the Parra Davies trade that was just I mean that's a, a killer, right? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> things like that are just crushing, right? And, and and on top of all the other things, you know. The, we, well, sorry, go ahead. I, and I'll give you another one: the the Bud Norris trade. While we look back on it, and he did win fifteen games that one year, but we gave up a guy named Josh Hader, who Houston ended up using in a trade with the Brewers. But Josh Hader has been absolutely remarkable out of the Brewers' bullpen over about 45 to 60 innings. He's got an ERA under two, uh, and he's going to end up a starting pitcher and be a damn good one for years to come. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then, of course, the free agent market plays into it, too. And you, you wish that, as, as an Orioles fan, you, know, you wish that the, the Orioles would, would spend money on pitching because pitching is what wins championships and gets into the playoffs and I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm not in those negotiating rooms. My sense is that pitchers aren't dying to come to Camden Yards because, you know, the, the numbers are going to blow up when they get here. Well, it's not good but, when Hellickson, it's not good when Hellickson right away tells you in this press conference right. that he's never liked pitching here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, nobody does, right? It's not, as a visitor, you come here, you know, 365-foot fly ball to left field. It's out in, you know, 28 other parks. is going to be a home run. That's not good for the resume. But, you know, I talked to Duquette last week. We were talking about, at the, at the trade deadline, I, I wrote something really roasting what they did. I wasn't the only one. Like, a lot of people in the national media did that. And then after they came came back and cut the lead down and won seven games at the end of July, I, I kind of wrote a little bit of a mea culpa. But it was I was kind of half in and half out. It was a mea culpa, but it was also, I still think, it wasn't the right move. And, you know, Duquette told me, he said, look, this is our fans want to see these meaningful games. They want to see us compete for the pennant. And on the one hand, I get that. Great. And I understand that, and credit to him for giving those fans what they want. But if that's really what they want, the way to get that is, is to, to get pitching, starting pitching. So if that's really what they want, you really want to give them what they want, figure it out. Well, the other, get them starting pitching. the other thing is if, the, if they really want this, why weren't they coming out? I mean, that's been a, a shocking problem to me this year that's developed. In other words, when Duquette takes over – the club's attendance began to ascend a little bit. And with the Freddie Gray situation in 2015, it took a dip that was explainable. And now in 16 and 17, that dip has continued to where, you know, these most recent homestands, if they're not a giveaway on a weekend, they're drawing 16 to 20,000 people. 
That that's not yeah. that doesn't sound like a fan base that's really excited about the product. Although no, on TV they're watching, you know. Yeah, and I've talked to guys about this, and you ask them if they care, and they said, no, as long as we're being supported, we don't care if they're coming to the park or watching on TV. But to me, that's BS. Like, yeah. as, as an athlete, an athlete is performance, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, growing up, I did both. I was like, like, I was the original high school musical. Like, I would do, like, theater, and I would do sports. And I loved, what I loved about both of them is that there was, like, a performance element. The, the bigger the crowd, the more amped up you got. Yep. And there's, like, you feed off of that, and there's a give and take. And so I think the players are just saying the right thing, but I think deep down it's got to kill them. Uh, and it's hard to watch. And, you know, people, everyone in Baltimore, I've written some things about this, and on the comment boards, you know, people make excuses, like you mentioned, Freddie Gray as a reason. And the Nationals being in town is a reason and, and being competitive now. The Ravens are a reason. School is a reason. Weather is a reason. Ticket prices are a reason. They're all reasons. But it's, but the bottom line is that despite all those reasons, if fans cared more, they would be at the park. Yeah, and I think though each of those reasons is also an opportunity and a necessity to market better. You know, to to really get out there. And I, I think they've gotten uh, lazy is not the right word, but I think they've gotten kind of used to the fact. Now we know if we give away a T-shirt. We'll get thirty thousand people, and to me, that's not really marketing. Yeah, yeah. I think people are also. This is a spitball, and haven't really gone here on this one, but I think people are kind of tired of not having frontline pitching. When you go yeah. to a baseball game, what separates one day from another day besides promotion? Uh, Excellent point, and, Eddie. Is, is yeah, giving yourself Craig a chance to win. Craig, Craig, yeah, Craig, Craig and I are in DC frequently together, and yesterday is a perfect example. It was a Max Scherzer start. And I haven't checked the numbers, but I'm sure they draw better when Scherzer is starting than when Edwin Jackson is starting. And I'm sure the Orioles draw marginally better when Bundy's starting than when uh, Ubaldo Jimenez is starting. But if they if they got uh, a gate draw kind of pitcher in their rotation or two or three, I think there'd be more button seats. It's it's an interesting topic, and I I wrote about this for next week's press box that comes out, the print edition. And I wrote ahead that it's all going to be about the pitching for 2018, and I projected that four of the starting pitchers are on this staff right now. I think Bundy and Gosman will be starters. I think they will turn Castro into a starter, and lo and behold, I didn't think it was even remotely possible. I think they are going to exercise Wade Miley's option because of the price of pitching, and they're going to bring him back one more year, $12 million. Having said that, the dollars they will have invested in that starting rotation are significantly lower, and to me, leave room for one big pitcher, be it a, an Alex Cobb, uh, who would be my number one choice, along with Jake Arrieta. Uh, I think the Orioles, it's imperative that they not only bring in one big pitcher or potentially big-time pitcher, I think they also can't go into next year going, well, we've got five starters, and then we've got, you know, the Jason Aquinos and Mike Wrights and Tyler Wilsons of the world because they had no plan B this year. And to Stan's point, Eddie, and we see this down the road with the Nationals, yeah. the depth of the starting pitching has been because of a Strasburg injury or a Scherzer neck injury things of that nature, there's there's much more depth that Mike Rizzo can draw from in that organization than they can up here. Yeah, and 
sure, whether it's Alex Cobb or you know, any one of those guys, you, Arietta, which would be, that'd be a kick in the pants if they got Arietta. <laughs> that, ain't, uh, that ain't happening, but, to, but it would be. But to, think, to, to, to think that they're going to get either one of those guys, to me, is just wishful thinking because the regime has not changed. So the in theory, the philosophy has not changed. And the, year after year after year, the behavior is the same. So what are we pretending not to know? So I would be shocked if there's a significant addition to that rotation for 2018 that's a legit top-of-the-line starter, even a legit, like, number two starter. Like, not an Orioles number two starter, right? Because, like, uh, starting rotation math in Baltimore, a number two starter is more like a, well, I guess, I th- I, changed a little bit, but you have to, like, I, add one, right? I, I think Peter is sometimes slow to learn things, and the older you get, it's tougher to learn new tricks. But I think that they will. I, I think that it was so obvious this year when they had three-sixths of a rotation that, that stunk night in and night out. And, Eddie, you brought up a great point. I know personally for me, I'm sort of out there because I love baseball and it's what I do, and I'm going, I can't stand watching any of these starting pitchers. I mean, Gosman is almost impossible for me to watch until he gets on one of his nine or ten start roles where he's pretty consistent. But this rotation but it was, it was, this year was god-awful to watch. It was the same thing last year. The only difference is that Tillman was more like Tillman, but Bundy wasn't. Well, Tillman was. Bundy, but, but everything else, Jimenez, Gallardo, well, they t- were using Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson, to me, this year was worse, but not by much. Yeah, well, Tillman, though, was the big. The, Tillman was really the difference. And I think giving them one bit of benefit of the doubt, and I don't, I don't pull off uh, of the doubt uh, part too much. I don't. I don't think they could have anticipated how bad Tillman would be, and that Gosman and Bundy wouldn't make the necessary jump. They had a lot of their eggs in the Bundy Gosman uh, basket, and that didn't really work out exactly the way they thought. And the other thing too, as far as Tillman is concerned, is I just think he's still hurt. Yeah, I don't whatever, think whatever is whatever wrong. is going on with that shoulder. They've got to figure it out, and they should have figured it out last year, and they should have figured it out probably a couple of weeks after the season ended because if you get that shoulder looked at, whether it requires surgery or not, uh, that you know just goes ahead and heightens the recovery process from whatever it's going to be. But I just don't think he's healthy, and I, until he gets it looked at and until he gets it solved, uh, it's, I think this is going to be – what you see from Chris Tillman because mechanically I think he's messed up and he just can't throw the kind of pitches that he's used to throwing. Eddie, I know we haven't really gotten into the Nationals and we've got about uh, we've got about five more minutes with you, six more minutes, uh, but I did want to stick with the Orioles in one case. There's one writer in town who writes for Press Box and he has his own website, BaltimoreBaseball.com, wrote a, an opinion piece about two weeks ago that the Orioles should sign Tillman for a one-year deal next year to kind of take the pressure off and show him how much they appreciate what he's done. Uh, and, and first of all, he didn't throw out a number that he thought, but I've now had, I do this Facebook Live thing after games, I've had a few people mentioning that to me. I think it's a re- preposterous idea, actually. Um, somebody threw out a number, they should give Tillman a one-year $10 million contract you know, to reward him and make him just take the pressure off of him. What do you think of that notion? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that I would call it preposterous, but I do not agree with the notion. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, a one-year deal, if, okay, so we don't know what's wrong with him physically, if, in fact, there's anything wrong with him, but I agree with what Craig was saying, I, I think there's something wrong with him, how can there not be? Right. Every, every sign seems to point to that. Uh, so, if there is something wrong with him, you sign him to a one-year deal, there's a good chance you, you get no more than, like, ten starts out of him, because he might end up having some kind of surgery or something where he's not even on the on the mound in a real game until, like, the all-star break. You have no idea. So, to exactly. me, that's money out the window. If it was, like, you know, I don't know. A $1 million deal. Maybe. But even still, I wouldn't. I would just, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you just You know what they owe him? They owe him the $22 million that they've already paid him over the course of his big league career. Right. He's gotten plenty from them. And he's gotten plenty of, I think, opportunity. To Buck Showalter's credit, I think one of the reasons we keep seeing them run run him out there is because they feel like they owe him that in his free agent year uh, that, you know, they they want they don't want to put it out there that if he is hurt that he, that you know then if they label him as such it's going to damage his value so I think they're giving him every chance to show that he can do it so that's I think they've given him what he's owed and more yeah so I, I wouldn't do it I mean the only way I'd consider bringing him back would be on a million dollar deal that if you make the team out of spring training it jumps maybe to three million and then if you meet certain markers that are attainable by health and performance that maybe he gets a chance to make 7 or $8 million. But I'm not – no team in baseball is going to guarantee Chris Tillman more than a minimal amount of money for the 2018 season. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, the Nationals, they have, because of an unbelievable confluence of events right now, with the Dodgers losing eight in a row and 13 out of 14, the Nationals, who have them, the Dodgers coming to town next week, suddenly – find themselves back in a race to perhaps be the number one team in the National League. They're back within five and a half games of the Dodgers. Yeah, it's crazy. I was thinking about that last night as well. I'm not sure they want the number one seed. If I'm them, I think I would much rather have the Shawaki Carter Cubs or whoever's coming out of the Central. I think I'd rather play them in the first round than the Diamondbacks because to me the Diamondbacks are way better than any of those mm-hmm. teams. And Assuming the Diamondbacks win that wild card game against whoever it is, the top seed's going to play them. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm curious next time I see Dusty, I don't know if that's something they'll talk about because it's so much cart before the horse. But from where I'm sitting, I would I do not want that top seed. you guys agree with that or no? I agree with that. And I also would have some reservations about the Brewers considering how they played in Milwaukee over the last week. Yeah, yeah, the Brewers, the Brewers are, are I think, are better than, than people think. Especially yeah. the back end of that bullpen, uh, Corey Knebel, like wow, he's that big breaking ball reminds me of like Greg Olson, nineteen eighty nine, right there. He's he's filthy. But I don't know whether um, the Cubs were, I mean, the Brewers were looking ahead to the Cubs or not. But they they had a really bad week. They lost three in a row to the Cincinnati Reds. The team to watch for me, and they lost last night too, is the Cardinals have moved up in that wild card hunt uh, pretty well. They're, they're, they're bunched up there with Colorado and Milwaukee right now. Yeah, I know the Cardinals, right? They're only three games out, which is crazy. Yeah. They're, like the, they're like the villain in the B-horror movie that never goes away. Like, right. I think you killed them and they're still there. <laughs> Touche. Uh, and they're, they're, if, you, if you look at the numbers, like so the Diamondbacks run differential 137. Obviously, they are the cream of that wild card hunt. Any other division, they'd probably be winning it, right? Yep. And then after that, the Rockies are plus 41, the Brewers are plus 9, the Cardinals are plus 66. So, yeah, at this point, that second wild card spot could be anybody's. But regardless of who it is, I think they get 
completely waxed by the Diamondbacks in, in that one game, whether it's Granky or Robbie Ray or whoever they throw. Uh, the Diamondbacks are, are are a good baseball team. Mm-hmm. That who, whoever faces them, whether it's a wild card game or an NLDS, is going to have their hands full. Eddie Matz of ESPN.com, you do a super job, and it's uh, I'm proud of you as a cousin and a friend. And uh, give my love to Whitney and the kids. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Thank you, Eddie Matz. There you go. Eddie Matz of ESPN.com. He can't stand you. We talk a lot. I don't know many people. I'm just that, saying. I, know, I don't know many people that like me right now. Uh, this is the bat around for a Saturday morning. I, I'm so glad today. I only have one more set of this program to do with Craig Heist. Uh-huh. By the way, we weren't. We didn't announce it earlier. I had an opportunity, an invite from uh, somebody at Stevenson University. I'm going out to, to their first game of the year today, which starts at 12 noon, and I'm going to meet the uh, new president of Stevenson University, Dr. Hirschman, uh, up in his box. So Craig Heist is going to take over after our Michael Regai interview, uh, and uh, that will make me happy in more than one way. Uh, we will return after these words. Just and think we'll, how it's going to make the view, uh, listeners and viewers. Well, I know it's going to be probably the Absolutely. best show in, in several weeks yeah, now, the, the hour of 11 to 12. <laughs> We're going to take a timeout when we get back. An old friend, and I do mean a friend, Michael Regai, who did Oriole baseball for about six years uh, at home team, uh, home team not, was it home team sports? Home yes, team sport, yeah. home team sports. And I think the first year of Masson, we'll find out. He's in Cleveland. That's where he lives. That's where he's he's from Detroit. But he's lived in Cleveland a long time. Does Cavaliers games? Does college basketball? College football? And he knows the Indians inside and out. He'll join us right after this. Members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto. And I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yards. Yeah, we've been in Section 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium... We tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Pressbox. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section336.com. Looking for a challenge? Push yourself further. It begins when you enlist as a soldier in the U.S. Army. You'll be trained in one of more than 150 career fields and could even earn money for college if you qualify. To find out more, visit your local Army recruiter or log on to goarmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. 
Money for College, more than 150 career paths, up to $40,000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40K bonus. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Java Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I fit, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. Doing our thing on Saturday mornings. I'm here for one more segment of the show, and then I'm off to Stevenson University to watch them play King College or something. Do you know that college? No. I know Stevenson University. They're playing King College in Pennsylvania or something like that. Hey, joining us right now is an old friend, and I do mean old not in the age sense, but long time, is Michael Regai. Michael, how are you? Hey, Stan, Craig, how are you guys? Great to hear from you. We're doing great. First of all, I always forget to ask when I book you to be on the show, what are you exactly doing now so we can say what Michael Regai is doing? Because I know you do about 20 things. Yeah, kind of uh, a mixed bag, Stan. I mean, today I'll be calling those uh, fighting bison of Howard University against Kent State, one of those FCS, FBS football uh, extravaganzas, and how about that uh, that upset win by uh, Howard last yeah. week? Yeah, I guess so. Is that, the number, one, is that the number one upset of all time? Yes. Unbelievable. Yes, as far as, uh, I've point been told, spreads. as far as uh, point spread-wise, yeah, they were a 43-point underdog. Back in 2007, uh, first year for Jim Harbaugh at Stanford, they were 39-point underdogs against USC in the Coliseum, and they went out and won. But since then, yeah, this uh, Mike London and his Bison last week went out to Sin City and uh, laid that uh, laid that big upset on uh, UNLV. So, 
Yeah, looking forward to seeing um, Kalen Newton, the uh, younger brother of Cam Newton, the freshman starting quarterback of Howard. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe Mike London can uh, have this squad on track for an FCS playoff berth later in the year. You still doing stuff with the Cavs, too? I am, yeah. Cavaliers shows, Brown shows, Stan, you know, TV, radio, pregame, postgame stuff, and uh, call college football and basketball for both ESPN and uh, and Fox. So, what's, what's, yeah, staying busy, and I enjoy it. What's the radio station out there, Mike? It's uh, ESPN Cleveland. Okay. It's WKNR. That's, uh, yeah. you know, 850. It's part of the, uh, you know, the uh, the ESPN uh, family. You, right. you get a chance to see Matt Lodi out there much? Yeah, yeah, he's around the scene here, sure. There you go. Matt Matt does a lot of the same stuff out there sure. in Cleveland that I do here in in the Baltimore, Washington. Absolutely. Quarter, yeah. Well, I know we had you on to talk baseball, and there'll be no shortage of time to do that. What do you make of this trade that the Cavaliers were more or less forced into or leveraged into by uh, Kyrie Irving? The return seemed to be pretty good, but now I'm reading that even after reworking the deal a little bit, there are concerns that Isaiah Thomas's hip injury could be even worse than they thought. Yeah, Stan, that pretty much just sums it up. Uh, there are a lot of people that believe, and of course the Cavaliers brought Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder in and you know had the introductory uh, media gathering with them the other day, and they didn't want to talk about it. So, um, you know, I've been told by some folks in Boston it might borderline on the chronic as far as the, uh, the hip condition goes for Thomas, and of course that would not be a good thing. I don't believe he'll be, he's not going to start the season. I think the Cavaliers, honestly, are thinking you get him back, you know, January, February. Wow. And that long NBA 82-game regular season, and then have him set to go in mid-April come playoff time, but you know, I don't know. This is uh, this is a unique situation, guys. I mean, you said it, Stan. Uh, Kyrie Irving, he he really uh, you know, came out with something out of a different bag. Yep. I think the initial thought was, you know, what, what, you're walking away from playing with LeBron James <laughs> and a team that's going to three straight NBA Finals and won one of them. But uh, you know, Kyrie, he's uh, he wants to he wants to run the show. He wants to be the guy, and and he comes out and says that. So yep. we'll see. I don't think uh, I've said it here. You know, I said it when he was. Uh, in his first couple years here, I don't believe you will ever win an NBA championship with any team that has Kyrie Irving as its elite guy or number one guy. Yep. I stand by that, and we'll see. We'll see if he can prove me wrong. be interesting to see, though, with Isaiah Thomas in that hip because we all remember uh, the playoff series against the Wizards in the quarter. I mean, in the uh, – yeah, I guess it was the quarterfinals last year. Uh and, and, you know, how he performed there. So uh, it's, yeah. it's interesting to see how that hip responds and whether or not he will be ready by January or so. Michael, yeah, you're right, Craig. The, yeah, no, no question about that. And it's, it's got the Cavaliers in a little bit different situation here now. They did pick up Derrick Rose, but, you know, I, uh, Rose has had his injury issues as well. He played about 67 games with the Knicks last year. So, you know, certainly a deluxe deluxe player uh, and former MVP. So, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. But the Cavaliers' belief is that you have LeBron James, you're going to be in position to put yourself right back in the NBA Finals. And I, I kind of concur with that, guys. Yeah, I can understand that. All right, let's move over to the baseball side. I know you're not doing Indian games per se, but you're there and you've watched what's going on. Despite the, the absence of Andrew Miller, Michael Brantley and Jason Kipnis, and we all knew that three of those guys were supposedly pivotal guys in the 2017 
Indian hopes. Uh, this team has now ran off 16 consecutive victories. They've outscored their opposition in those 16 games, 114-28, to 28, thrown five shutouts and only been behind in a couple games. Uh, just how good are these Cleveland Indians? They're good, Stan. They're a very deep and talented baseball team for the reasons that you just mentioned. I mean, uh, you know, uh, now I contend that uh, two of those three, now Kipnis is not having a good year. You know, Brantley came right back, all-star, hitting 300, just as he had been for the three previous years. Andrew Miller, of course, as we know, one of the most uh, devastating out-of-the-bullpen guys in baseball. So, you know, it's showing that this team has uh, a a hell of a lot of depth. I mean, they got guys that have uh, certainly – Step to the forefront. Uh, Jose Ramirez has had a terrific year. Carlos Santana has had a big second half. They picked up Jay Bruce. And Stan, you mentioned the starting pitching. I mean, between Kluber and Glasgow yeah. and uh, Mike Clevenger and Trevor Bauer, they're 14 and 0 pitching to a 1.80 ERA in this 60 game win run. So that's pretty silly. You know, I was having some fun with Cleveland fans the other day. Now I could tell you the last, uh, well, the previous eight before last night's win over the O's um, were gimmies because you got check the lineups that Detroit and Chicago put out on the field. Against yeah, absolutely. Uh, minor pathetic. league lineups. Absolutely so, pathetic. Hey, listen, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. You still got to go out and be. Yeah, you still got to go out and play. Uh, play hard and take care of your business. But, you know, those eight were uh, against virtually minor league lineups. So, uh, but, you know, the run's phenomenal. Terry Francona has done a masterful job in mixing and matching. Uh, and, again, without, uh, you know, I contend without Miller and Brantley, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. You know, fans here now, they're already starting, of course, the, well, <laughs> hey, listen, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't need them to win. Well, right, right, right. I, I take great exception to that. Yeah. Uh, October baseball. Is a, is a whole lot different. So, but we'll see. But no, the run has been phenomenal. If you'd have told me that they'd back up last year's 14 game win streak with one of 16 now, it's very improbable in the game, as we know. And they have really turned it on and going to coast to a division crown and maybe the number one seed in the American League. You know, what's amazing is when you go back and analyze how you get certain players and you look at Corey Kluber, I think people forget. I can't even remember who the Padres got in the deal, but that was a three-way deal. That was a three-way deal with the Cardinals, Padres, and Indians. Indians get Kluber, Cardinals get Jake Westbrook, and San Diego got an outfielder, a fringy guy. At that time, he was more of a prospect. I can't remember his name. Never amounted to anything. Corey Kluber may be as good a pitcher as there is in the game of baseball. Well, there's no question about it, and I, I think everybody immediately, you know, goes to Clayton Kershaw, you know, or Max Scherzer or Chris Sale, and hey, listen, I'll take any one of those three guys. No doubt about it. I've always been a l- little bit more leaning toward uh, Kershaw or uh, Scherzer uh, in the last couple of seasons. If he gave me one guy, you know, you know that old, hey, uh, give the baseball to one guy to go win for you in October. Who are you giving it to? That having been said, Kluber is, um, you know, he's, he is, uh, they, they nicknamed him Klubot here, kind of like a, you know, yeah. a robot thing, because he, <laughs> he doesn't have much of a personality. He's not a guy that smiles a lot or is, uh, you know, want to banter with you, Stan and Craig. And, you know, he doesn't say too much, but man, I'll tell you what. 
Yeah, he is as dominant as a starter as we've seen in the game over the course of the last three years. I mean, he's you look at him and you say, well, he's not, you know, he he doesn't have that devastating two-seam, four-seam fastball. He's in the 93, 94-mile-an-hour area. And yet, you know, his slider is, is almost unhittable. He is tremendous with being able to pitch to all four quadrants of the strike zone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, uh, how can you say he's not as good as all those other guys I mentioned when it comes to now doing this consistently year after year for him? By the way, that outfielder's name was Ryan Ludwig. I just looked at Ryan yeah. Ludwig. Yep. Thank you. I, I was like you, drawing a blank on it. Very good very good catch there. Yep. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he didn't do a whole lot with no, the Padres. No, he didn't. All right, let me ask you this, Michael. In terms of going forward, uh, you know, everybody's talking about the Orioles now, and they're, they've been within a game of the wild card. Now they're three back after losing to the Yankees and then the Indians last night. But when you – Talk about hot streaks, and that's what everybody says the Orioles need to have. Uh, I guess what the Indians are going through is exactly just that, and that's the kind of thing the Orioles kind of need the last three weeks of the season. Yeah, now are they going to be able to uh, put that together? I mean, they're going to be able to, you know, be nice like what a, you know, maybe well they got twenty, maybe a, a sixteen and six. 16 yeah, something and like seven, that. Yeah, something and, like that. I mean, and not with this starting know, pitching, I don't no, think that's yeah, not going to happen. I hear you. I hear you. Maybe they're going to have to bludgeon everybody <laughs> to get a wild card spot. You know. It's hard Bring to back bl- some of those, uh, those three-run Start- bombs, about three of them a game that Earl Weaver used to love. Oh, maybe I was, they can win 11-9 to nine every night. I was going to say forward. it probably starts in the warehouse if people need to be bludgeoned. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, listen, uh, I'm rooting for them. I, I, I always think postseason baseball is, uh, you know, call me a uh, the ultimate traditionalist, but you know, yeah, I want to see the O's, and I'm, I don't have a problem if I'm looking at the Yankees or Boston either in the postseason because, you know, listen, I, I uh, as I said, baseball traditionalist, and I like postseason baseball when, uh, you know, a couple of, it could be a couple of them from the American League East are involved in postseason play. So, you know, you know we're going to get Houston. You know we're going to get uh, the Indians. And, uh, you know, we'll see how everything else shakes out as far as the AL East goes. But, uh Get the bats going and win eleven to nine every night. Yeah, well, well, that's what you got to do. Be right there. That's what you got to do. But what's going to be very interesting for me this year, and as far as the postseason is, and we saw it last year in the World Series, guys overmanaging, whether it be Joe Madden or Terry Francona, in terms of their starting pitching, only going to a certain place in the game before turning it over to the to the bullpen. And last year, I thought. Andrew Miller at times was was not used properly, and mm. certainly you can say that about Madden and the way he he constructed uh, things down the stretch. Yeah, no, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of conversation about that here, and you know, uh, that's uh, now Terry says Francona. That's the beauty of Andrew Miller. He said, you know, to him, he always believes Stan and Craig that sometimes. Hey, he said, well, hey, I, what about if you go through a three, four, five hitter in the other lineup in the seventh inning? Why can't you yep. look at it that the save is gained right there? Yeah, well, and, and so last year, Craig, to your, uh, to your point, Andrew Miller in the postseason pitched in the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, and, of course, a couple games of one extra innings. He pitched in the extra innings as well. So, 
you never know where Francona is going to get them up and get them in at. And uh, a lot of it is based on, yeah, that where is that opposition in the lineup? And Francona goes by his gut. If he feels that a save occurs in the seventh inning tonight, you're probably going to see Andrew Miller. Yeah. We're talking with Michael Regai. Michael, I know you weren't the play-by-play voice of Oriole baseball the year it opened, but this year we've celebrated, and I get confused as to why they do it this way. This is the 26th year of Camden Yards, but mm-hmm. the se- but the season was spent celebrating 25 years of baseball at Camden Yards. Um, <laughs> when you got there and and had that gig, and we're coming to that park nearly 81 times a year. What were your impressions right out of the gate of Camden Yards? Phenomenal. Very best in baseball. I mean, that's, uh, that's the way I, uh, I felt about it then. And uh, I, there's some other uh, real nice yards around the game. You know, I love, uh, I love the Giants yard out in Frisco. Uh, there are others, as we said, you know, that I uh, like a lot. I like New Yankee Stadium a lot, even though I miss the tradition of uh, the original in the Bronx. But, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to me, it's, uh, it is the very best. I mean, that's arguable, of course, but I felt that way. Like I said, I, uh, 97 to 04 calling the birds and, um, you know, just phenomenal being able to go to that, uh, that beautiful baseball cathedral every year, every day of the year, as you said, Stan, 81 days a year. So, um, for me, I think the, the intimacy of it, um, you know, it, it is extremely fan-friendly as to being able to really feel and experience the game wherever you are. Some of the other new ones are kind of get kind of expansive. You know, they kind yep. of, uh, the upper decks kind of are, are set way back, and that's a thing I think uh, the Orioles were able to avoid with uh, with Oriole Park. So, yeah, I listen, it was, uh, I, I have so many fond memories, and, I turn on the birds now, and of course, because I gotta, you know, I gotta keep tabs on my guy Jim Palmer, you know, my, my partner for a year. I gotta keep him in line. So we exchange, um, you know, we exchange texts and emails here. I love Jim. I, I always said, I, I, you know, to me, he is one of the very best analysts in the game. I mean, he works at his craft uh, diligently, day in and day out. And, that impressed me about him when I was working with him, and, and still does today. So, it's, um, yeah, I, I keep close tabs on it, and uh, and I miss it because, as I said, going there. I mean, I'm blessed, you know, Stan, just blessed to be able to to call Major League Baseball for eight seasons um, and, and with the Oriole organization and uh, at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I mean, that that experience is is right up there at the very top of everything I've done in sports broadcasting. It's funny you went there because that was going to be my last question for you. I know Craig might have one more, but my my question was going to be about Palmer and where you ranked him in the analyst you've worked in over the sports that you do because I know you do pro basketball, college basketball, and college football. Uh, To me, there's nothing finer than listening to Jim Palmer or watching a game where he's the one explaining What's going on? He's the very best, Stan. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, the other one that I would consider there, and about five of my seasons of the uh, the fourteen calling the Cleveland Cavaliers, I worked with Matt Gukas. Remember Matt? Oh, sure, yeah, with sure. Marv Albert yep. and Mar. He was, uh, you know, Matt did uh, uh, the national side of the NBA back in the NBC days with mm. Marv Albert back in the uh, early nineties. Jim Palmer and Matt Gukas are the two finest I've, uh, I've ever worked with. And 
you know, I, I like I said, I just love Jim's sense of it was always for me. You know, I could. Uh, my friends tell me you got to write a book sometime. I said, well, you know, I'm not that guy that's going to go out and uh, talk out of school, so to speak. That that's not me. But um, you know, I, the the even over and above in the booth, guys. For me, the, the times I cherished and treasured the most with Jim as a broadcaster, like in that 3 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when we'd either be, uh, you know, Davy Johnson, Ray Miller, you know, Mike Hargrove, whoever, and, but uh, we'd go to the Visitor's Clubhouse, and the his ability and the rapport he had with everybody in the game, that's what I mean about doing his homework, because, you yeah. know, he'd go up to the lockers of, you know, guy, bullpen guys or extra guys who were playing that day, and he made sure that uh, he knew everything about that, their situation, to be able to take in the booth that night. And, guys, i got to tell you, I won't mention him, but, you know, I work with, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I work with so many guys that, you know, uh, whether it's been football, basketball, baseball, you know, guys that, uh, ex-players, ex-coaches that just don't do a lot of homework, you know what I mean? don't do a lot of prep, really don't have a good feel for, um, you know. Well, now this, you're, now you're talking about now you're talking about guys like me and Craig Heiss. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you guys do your homework. So, for me, Jim, Jim is the very best. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I tease him in there, but uh, you, there's no one, I agree with you, there's no one that can get into the, uh, the grassroots of the game and bring it to life uh, during the course of a, a night of baseball like he does. And, uh, you know, I mean that sincerely. I, I've told him that, uh, you know, how I feel about that with him. And uh, it was always a pleasure to be able to talk the game with him night in and night out, you know, calling Orioles baseball because, you know, that's the best. That's where I feel that, uh, that he shines. So, yep, right at the top of my list is, uh, is Cakes. No question about it, guys. <laughs> Michael, we got to let you get out to the Kent State-Howard game, but I know Craig's got one more question for you, and then we'll Absolutely. let you go. Mike, if you had to pick right now, and, and you see the you know the, the stretch run coming down here in the last couple of weeks, if you had to pick one team that you think is going to win the World Series, uh, what do you think that is, or who do you think that is? And, and conversely, what do you think of the Nationals' chances when you stop to look at a rotation that's going to feature Strasburg and Scherzer and, mm -hmm. and Gio Gonzalez? I like it. Those those three, you know, I mean, uh, you feel if you've got three uh, come October that uh, you can count on day in and day out, you shouldn't really, maybe, maybe in uh, a seven-game series, maybe a manager would might want to go with four, four starter heisty, as you know, but... Well, then you can throw uh, Channel Rourke into that mix, too. <laughs> well, that, there you go. Then if that's the case, then you feel good about giving him the baseball. You know what? I, I surprised a lot of people. I like the Houston Astros. I like them from the beginning. Yeah, they've had, as every team will. Sure, yep. they, they hit a tough stretch here recently. But, you know, listen now, adding JV, Justin Verlander, mm -hmm. I watched him the other night. It looks real funny, not in the Tiger uniform yep. either. But, uh I, I I like Houston. I love their everyday lineup, and uh, I think they're a baseball team that and now you know there's not a lot of experience there in October with a lot of those guys. Verlander will help that, but you know you got Verlander and you got Keuchel and you got McCullers, and, and then that lineup, the hitting lineup, 
I, I like it. You know, I like it, and I, I, I think they can win it all. Now, you know, that's uh, again the experience factor. We'll see. But um, I, I like Houston, and I think they're the team that uh, I think's going to win it all. I think this has evolved into with the the sudden crash that the Dodgers have had, losing thirteen and fourteen. The Astros picking up Verlander, the yep. uh, Indians' hot streak, and the confidence that can bring about, and the Nationals. I think this is a like kind of going into it. I'm really excited for this postseason. Yep, I agree with you. You named four and. You can make a strong case for any one of those four guys. There's no doubt about that. So it should be an exciting postseason. And uh, I think one that's as a, what's better in October baseball, though? I, uh, you know, nothing. I, I, it, September's real good and October's even better. And you know what? The other thing about this, too, is when you think about what Stan's saying about the Dodgers, you know, the, the question really becomes this stretch where they have not played well. Does that hurt them going into the postseason, or can it be a wake-up call? I think it's been a shock to their confidence. I yeah. think they, they were so good for so mm-hmm. long that they got on autopilot, and now they're going to try and reinvent themselves. And I'll tell you what, I watched last night, Charlie Steiner, you know Charlie, don't you, uh, Michael? Yes, very well. Yeah, yes. he's talking last night about, they're, they're ahead 4-1 to one in the fifth inning, and he was talking about, I know Kershaw got hurt, hit pretty badly last night, but it's all about getting this rotation back in order now. And all yep. of a sudden, the uh, the um, uh, the uh, Rockies got four doubles, a walk, and a wild pitch, and they were ahead 5-4, to four, and I thought yep. he was going to swallow his tongue. You Darvish yep. has not really pitched well for them. No, he hasn't. There's a beauty of it, too. And I think a lot of this falls on Dave Roberts now, guys. You know what yep. I mean? He yeah. had that experience of that run in 2004 with the – the Red Sox coming back from uh, three nothing down in that epic against the Yankees, and he was a big part of that. So I, yep. I think a lot of this falls on him. He's going to be able to uh, get this squared away and right this ship in the next couple weeks and get that confidence back. And they're in a situation much like the Nationals, because the Nationals have never won a playoff series in three right. in three tries at this point. And the Dodgers, I think, if they don't win the World Series, right, something could happen there. All right. We'll see. Michael Regai, always a pleasure. I'm going to remember you a little bit more during the offseason. We'll grab you one time uh, and talk a little hot stove baseball. Hey, Mike, when we have you back, too, yes, when, when we have you back, too, we're also going to talk about the Lauderdale days. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, uh, big fun there, Heisty. Yeah, boy. Uh, let's, there, no doubt about it. Let's keep our Guys, thoughts. Always a pleasure. Uh, always enjoy it. Call me anytime, okay? All right. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate it. All right. Um, we had some great days down in spring training. Did you? The Orioles and covering. Yeah. And well, again, we started the program with our thoughts and prayers for the folks in the, in the path of this devastating storm known as Hurricane Irma that's due to hit landfall. What, when? Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning, yeah. All right. Well, we're, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody. I'm, the show is not over. I'm ducking out. Craig Heist is going to take over from here. And uh, we thought we'd do this uh, because it was an interesting interview, not that we couldn't get anybody. But uh, ESPN's Jessica Mendoza uh, was on with Glenn Clark yesterday, and we've got a, a listen to that. And a good chunk of this interview is about this issue of the September call-ups and whether or not that that the way they do that by allowing sort of an unlimited number up to 40 
And most teams stop at about 31-32. Yeah. But, but how it uh, plays out and whether she thinks that that's really fair and the right way to do it. I'll be back next Saturday with Craig Heist, I believe. Uh, Craig's also got Chelsea Janes on a little bit at the bottom of the half hour here. Thanks to Bonzatufa, and enjoy the rest of the show. I think it's going to be the best you've ever heard. Here's Jessica Mendoza with Glenn Clark. Now joined by someone who will be uh, working the Baltimore Orioles broadcast on Sunday night in Cleveland as they take on the Indians. Good to see the Orioles get some uh, national TV love. She is, of course, an analyst for ESPN. You see her every Sunday night. The great Jessica Mendoza now joins us on GCR. Jessica, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Glenn, I'm just glad we get to talk about Baltimore. And honestly, like the fact that they're playing Cleveland. This is a, is a good matchup. And we really, two teams we don't get to see very often. You know, baseball, so you know it, i got to be honest with you. It is nice for it to not be Yankees-Red Sox. It's just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean there's other teams we cover? I, 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 you, Red Sox or Yankees? <laughs> every now and then, and it's nice to see. And we certainly appreciate it here in Baltimore. Hey, you know, it, it, there's so much to cover here. Obviously, the Indians are playing out of their minds right now. Like, it's just insane how good they've been. But uh, on this side of things, how surprised are you by the fact that the Orioles have managed to some how some way sort of hold this thing together and still be in it at this point in the season? You know, I think the biggest thing I look back on is the trade deadline and how really, like, ridiculed the Orioles were for going and getting guys instead of kind of selling apart the team, which a lot of people expected. Like, come on, you guys are out of it. Let's go, like, you know, sell sell what you can, <laughs> you know, savage the future. And, you know, I love, you know, we think about Tim Beckham, right? You know, a guy that they go out and get that, you know, really for not a whole lot at all, the Rays were done with him. And, and you know, we saw what he did early. He's kind of come back down to earth a little bit as of late. But um, just the future um, that he has, a guy like Hellickson, you know, what he's been able to add at the starting rotation to add to the success of Bundy and Gosman. But I just think really since that trade, trade, trade deadline, and how this team has kind of shown everybody, no, there was a reason why we didn't. And there's a reason why we went out and got not big guys, not anything crazy. We didn't make a huge splash, but we didn't break apart our team like everyone wanted us to. Now, what, one game back from that wild card? And, of course, shake that up any given day. It <laughs> could be two by tomorrow. Who knows? But could be they could be in there by tomorrow. Um, but this team is for sure in this. And I love the way that they're playing playing ball right now, especially in a division that that's really getting exciting. Jessica, you referenced the trade deadline, and it, it's such a it's a difficult topic here in Baltimore because unquestionably it's helped make them more relevant uh, to this point in the season than we expected them to be. Tim Beckham has been a godsend. There's no doubt about that. But there's still the people that say, yeah, but really this organization might have been better off if they had dealt Manny Machado and if they had dealt Zach Britton because they're still not going to win a World Series this year. It's extremely unlikely. And what you could have gotten back for a couple of guys that would have been available for two pennant races, you shouldn't have been going that route. Is it? You know, I, I don't know from an outside perspective where that line is because – I'm telling you, it's very 50-50 here in town as far as where people are concerned. concerned. Where are you with that uh, debate? You know, obviously hindsight's easier, but I was one that at the time, like, yes, so, for sure. I mean, this is a team, especially because what you're going to build on is, is your starting rotation. And right now the Orioles don't have, I don't think, enough guys that are going to be able to contend over the course of multiple series to get to the World Series. Yeah. Now, win a wild card game, yes. 
Um, be competitive in a division series, yes. Um, but to be able to get through a championship series and on and on and on, um, it, it's 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 not. It, right. And I feel like you know when that when that happened, it, it shocked all of us just because of how far they had to come and, and just the amount of teams that are competing. And there's a reason why no one's run away with the wild card. It's not that the Orioles are so good that they're contending with this wild card. It's that no one is really clearly good enough. You know, and I think that's where it it puts this all in limbo. I mean, the Yankees have shown us that they have periods of time where they they look like a team and they have that star power, which kind of skews people's idea of like, oh, they have Aaron Judge, so of course they should be in the playoffs. Right. Um, but really, no wild card contending team is great, is fantastic, is is clearly a playoff team, and because of that, it gives teams like the Orioles that hope that yes, they can get there. But what what's getting there? Right. Like, okay, great, right. you're a play. And if you're the Mariners, yes, because you haven't been there in how long? It's been a historic run of not being in the play. Get to the playoffs, yes. But for the Orioles, just getting there is not good enough. And that team, the, the team, when you look at this offense, is is just so fun to watch. It's just not fair to, I think, give hope for what, you know, really is, is a, is a team that's not going to be able to get too far in the postseason. She is Jessica Mendoza. She, of course, will be on the broadcast Sunday night as the Orioles and Indians do battle on ESPN. Of course, a former gold medalist as well, and she's with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Um, Jessica, the the name Jonathan Scope and what an unbelievably amazing season he's had. Um, is there an argument? It's a weird year in that I, I guess Jose Altuve is sort of the front runner for MVP. Like, I guess, but... I don't know, and it's one of those goofy years. Does he deserve to be in that conversation as far as MVP is considered? Oh, absolutely. Um, and what's fun about our Sunday night game is I think Jose Ramirez on the Indian sure. side is right there with Scope. I think these two guys are under the radar because they're not stars even on their own teams. I mean, if you were to just throw out randomly to a non-Baltimore fan, just a baseball person that you know follows the game, in and out, they'd throw out Manny Machado and Adam Jones. You know, they're, you know, they're not going to. And I mean, even think about Trey Mancini and the rookie year that he's having. But Jonathan's scope is ridiculous. And and I think what I love about him is, you know, he's been able to adjust at a level um, that, like, you know, he's always been that that stud guy. So you expected him to be to be good. But now his second year consistently playing every day at second base, but not. Like and this is coming from a hitter that was always overly aggressive. Okay, okay. So I've got a lot of Jonathan Scope in me, <laughs> and to see him, so I have an appreciation to watch him have discipline. You know, especially early in the count, there is I think only one guy in all of baseball that has dropped his percentage of swinging at the first pitch, swinging at first pitch strikes. Excuse me, swinging at first pitch strikes more than Jonathan Scope has. So he's dropped twelve points this year, twelve percentage points. To be able to take and spit on pitches early in counts and kind of throw out there to a pitcher like, yeah, that's right, <laughs> I'm a different hitter, I have a different approach, and all of a sudden it, it kind of messes with you. And that's not something that you can do when it's truly who you are. Yeah. You're still going to see scope chase, you're going to still see that aggressiveness. He stays true to who he is, but he's been able to adjust to just understanding, okay, you know what, this pitcher's probably going to give me a breaking ball first pitch because he knows I'm aggressive. And finally getting that. Um, I think when you kind of hone in on everything that Jonathan Scope is with his athleticism and talent, I kind of really micro in on that one thing um, for this year that puts him just, wow, over the top to me because it's not easy to do when at your core – 
you're the guy that wants to come out. Like outside of my shoes, you give me something to swing at, I am swinging. First pitch, second pitch, I don't care. That's the way we go. And to see him have discipline in big time at bats, he's shown that this year. And that's that to me is what's made Scope um, not only the best player on his team, but yes. One of the best in baseball. He should be in that MVP discussion. Uh, the other, the other. Obviously, the season really started to turn when Manny Machado became Manny Machado again for the Baltimore Orioles. And you know, I don't think it can be surprising at all because he's one of the best players in all of baseball. If anything, it sort of makes it a little bit more confounding that he was ever you know mired in the slump that he was in to start the season because you, you just remember, oh right, this guy is really this good. Yeah, I think if you list out, like, let's, you know, we all do it, right? Get asked, who who are your AL, you know, NL MVP candidates at the beginning of the season? Who are the people that you're going to write out? Top three, I would say on most people's list is Manny Machado. So yeah. Starting the season, he's the guy you expect to show what he's doing right now. What you don't expect is, is more the length of slump that he had. Um, and just even just uncharacteristic, you know, even just certain at-bats where it almost seemed like, who is this guy? Um, but he's a stud, Hand, hands down, like the guy is, is so ridiculously good that it, you just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for what we're seeing now. Um, and then for him to come out the second half and just do it with the exclamation point, and then really hand-in-hand hand with the success that the Orioles have had. Yep. And they've gone through their up and downs too, but you watch Manny Machado's at-bats and the hits that he's gotten and the walk-offs that he's gotten in, in, the, in the games that really have mattered. I mean, you need your stars to shine, and he didn't early in the season to the surprise of pretty much anyone who follows baseball. But now we're seeing Manny Machado be Manny Machado, and that's really just one of the best players in baseball. Well, it's just so much fun to watch, and we've been spoiled, obviously, in Baltimore, and it's why we're having uh, night terrors about a world that does even though Baltimore wanted to sell him off like a month and a half ago. Well, but you don't want to sell him off because you don't want Manny Machado around. I assure you of that, Jessica. It is another, it's, yeah. it's the fear of him walking away and you have nothing to show for it, right? Like you didn't totally. win a World no. Series, you didn't get anything back. And I think like in Baltimore, we're getting to the point where we're accepting of the idea that they've never spent $200 million on a baseball player. That might not be half of what it's going to cost in order to get Manny Machado, so it's... But it's, to argue with Machado, too, is you still have time, you know? Right, um, right. And, and and knowing the market on July 31st of for position players, I mean, it was it was silly. Like, there was... Everyone wanted pitchers. Yeah. So I, I, I would argue that there was no one, and maybe they put him out there. You know, we don't know, maybe in, in some small way, but to know that, you know, Todd Frazier was a guy that... The Yankees went and got. I mean, there there just wasn't a whole lot yeah. of like I'm going to give you what you want. Manny Machado, <laughs> you better go and get the best. And I don't think anyone was willing to offer that. So, yeah. so I I agree, but I think there's time, and I'm hoping the market for his value because yeah, he is a guy they're going to have to dish. I feel like at some point, knowing that that's a contract you can't. It, it's you such can't a tricky sign. thing too, Jessica, because like there's the argument that what if what if the market never is that you can get a king's yeah. ransom, right? And then. Are you at a point where where you have to take you know seventy percent you know seventy cents on a dollar yeah. for Manny Machado because you just can't have him walk without getting anything or do you have an obligation next season to go all in as an organization and say look we've got Machado and Britain coming up and Jones people forget about that as well also coming up on a contract yeah. afterwards we need to go get two pitchers even if it costs us an absurd amount of money we've got to do something because 
we have to give ourselves an opportunity. And, and I know that's it's easier said than done, right? Because if we're going to spend the money on two pitchers, why wouldn't you spend the money to keep Manny Machado around long term? It's it's it, it just feels like you're sort of in this purgatory spot where it's fun to watch Manny Machado. It's been a delight in Baltimore these last few years to watch this dude play baseball. I think he's the greatest talent that the Orioles have seen since at least Jim Palmer, if not longer than that. Like it, it might be that Frank Robinson. I don't know. It's that it's that good. But yet there's this fear of what we will have to had to show for the years of Manny Machado was a lot of fun and not a lot more than that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would, as just a baseball fan, I would love to see Baltimore get a couple pitchers. That, and that's so easy said because everyone wants a couple pitchers. Right, <laughs> right. A couple pitchers, you know. Yeah. And, and the market's, you know, not there for that. There's not a lot of free agents that are going to be out there um, that are – not cheap, but like definitely not ridiculously through the moon, especially like even Arietta and like what the back half of his season has looked like is an example. Not that him coming back to Baltimore would be would be an option, but like I just think about like as a baseball fan, I would love to see 2018 be the year of Baltimore. Be the year where it's, you know what, all chips are in, and not just for Manny Machado, but really for, for Baltimore. Yeah. Because this has been a team that's been fun like to watch and that's been good and we've seen the highs and and to be honest, that division, like, let's talk about a team for a good length of time that doesn't start with Yankees or Boston, <laughs> you know? And and let's go all in, you know, for this season. And and knowing that, like, you have this, you know, these additions, like a Beckham and, and what Scope's been able to do, and just, like, a fun group of guys, the leadership of Adam Jones. I mean, like you said, that's something that doesn't get talked about a no lot. No doubt. He, yeah, Machado's the star. Adam Jones is the guy. He's the heart. He's he the is one. the heart of the franchise. He is yeah. in every way. And you want to rally behind him. Yep. Just give Baltimore some pictures, and yes, I'd love to see 2018 be the year of Baltimore. Well, we would love that too, for the record. We just <laughs> want to state that we are in agreement with you. Hey, Jess, before I let you go, um, Buck, it's a weird thing in Baltimore too, because September baseball is kind of strange because you have players popping up that – Wow, this guy's a major leaguer? I had no idea, because obviously you have the expansion of the rosters. Uh, Buck Showalter has been very outspoken um, that he does not like the September rule. He does, it, you know, I think we've heard some other people speak out about that, which is weird, because the Orioles have always been a team that's been able to take advantage of yeah. it. Um, that's Buck's magic, magic hour, right? Right, like it's, <laughs> it's so weird that he doesn't like it this much, and yet, look at how the Orioles have performed in September no one's done better with having more, you know, pieces to work with than Buck Showalter has. Where are you? Like, there is a part of me, Jessica, that admits it's kind of goofy. It's kind of goofy that you play an entire year with a certain amount of players, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden when the games matter the most, there are some yeah. teams playing with their double-A lineup on the field, right? Like, it's there's something about it that is kind of goofy, but... I, I don't know that it's as easy as just saying, well, do away with it forever. It's 25 man till the end of the year. I don't know. I, I don't know how to go but, about it. I just know it's weird. Glenn, it, it's beyond weird. Like it's, it's, it's weird. Isn't even to me, the right word. It's, it's to me, it's wrong. Okay. Like, I, I will stand by the statement and I would bet if you were to poll managers and players in baseball right now, they, they don't want it either because the time of year, I mean, you're talking about the most important months of the season, and now you're dealing with teams that aren't even who they are. So you can have a bullpen be able to start in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning in the most critical time. So now batters, I mean, if you look at averages and consistency for what hitters are now up against because you have a, you know, 
20 guys that you could pull in at any point and be able to match up against for one pitch, for one batter, for whatever, in September. And I get, like, the importance of the call-ups for the players and the maturity and all of that. I wish there was another month that we could do it. Fine. Pick another month, but don't pick the month where you're leading into, especially when you look at the AL right now and that wild card, and look at what even Baltimore is able to do. It's it's not fair, in my opinion, to have this now. Like, I I just think it changes the way that the game is played because of the way that you can manipulate bullpens, the way that you're able to match up and do things. That didn't happen all season long. Right. So now you have different hitters. You have different approaches. It changes the game. When? Like in the 11th hour? No, let's do that hour one. Maybe out of spring training. Like, let's give everyone a chance now. Manipulate, try new guys, whatever. But in September, I think it's wrong. And I'm hoping it changes. Because this is the time of year I want people tuning in. Not tuning out because, wait, another pitching change? Another guy I don't even know his name? Right. Right. Let's go. Well, and then there's the goofy thing where, like, you're in the middle of a pennant race and you're facing uh, another team that's in the pennant race. The team that you're up against is facing, you know, a team that's completely out of the race. And all they have to do is is beat guys that aren't really major league players. And they get a win that counts the same as your win. Like, it's... It's it's so it's so odd, and I'm sure Buck Showalter will be thrilled to hear what it is that you have to say about it because he is very much opposed to it. And I have said for a long, I think we've just accepted it, right? Like it's existed for so long that you don't even yeah. fight about it. But it is, yeah. if you really sat down and asked someone to defend, hey, we're going to change the rules of a sport and we're going to do it when the games matter the most, you'd be like, what? What? Like you're doing what now? Yeah, and no one can even trace when it began. It's not like there was this clear cut, like, on this date, they decided, baseball decided to expand rosters. It's just kind of been this, well, it's always been, no one really can even put their finger on exactly (laughs) the time that this began, and it just became a thing, and now it's a rule, and it's like, yeah. But I I really believe that this is something I I hope will change, and I think because, I think more people believe what Buck believes. And if, if Buck's leading that charge, I mean, here's the guy that's the mastermind of the bullpen. Right. So, honestly, September is his time to be the best. I mean, he's the best manager in baseball in September, and he's admitting. He doesn't want it. Like yeah, it. So, that's a great point. Yeah. Great point. All right, she is Jessica Mendoza, the gold medalist and, of course, the analyst for uh, Sunday Night Baseball, Orioles-Indians, this Sunday night on ESPN. Give her a follow, at Jess Mendoza on Twitter. Jess, is there anything that we can uh, plug for you besides Twitter? Uh, no, I think just honestly watching the broadcast Sunday night, and um, I, I really believe just heading down the stretch, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be fun. And especially if you're in Baltimore, I mean, buckle up. It's, it's, every day is going to be a different different team in the mix. Yeah. So I'm looking for I'm hoping for a game 163 to be honest. Well, this certainly <laughs> beats all the years where we weren't watching baseball in September in Baltimore. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Hey, Jess, thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you Sunday nights. Thanks, Glenn. Glenn Clark, Jessica Mendoza from ESPN who is the analyst on the Sunday night baseball games. And uh, she does a great great job and uh, it was great get by Glenn to have her on yeah. the show yesterday. Uh, the Orioles getting set to take on uh, the Indians in Cleveland at Progressive Field where Gabrielle Yanoa goes up against Josh Tomlin today. 16 in a row in the win column for the Indians and the last team to win 16 straight. The 2002 
Oakland A's, uh, they won 16 in route to going uh, for 20 in a row. Right. So that's a pretty impressive streak. <laughs> yeah. And when you're talking about teams that need to get hot down the stretch, that's the kind of hot streak we're talking about. And the Orioles lineup uh, is out today for the 1 o'clock start. Tim Beckham leads off, and uh, he'll be uh, at shortstop. Manny Machado, the third baseman. Jonathan Scope, the second baseman. We heard Jessica talk uh, very highly about Jonathan, and why not with the kind of year uh, that he has had, up over 100 RBI now, and uh, uh, with the 30-plus home runs. Adam Jones hits cleanup. He'll be in center field. Trey Mancini in left field in the five-hole. Chris Davis will be at first base hitting sixth. Mark Trumbo is the designated hitter. Uh, Wellington Castillo is the catcher hitting eighth and making his first major league start today uh, in uh, right field. It'll be Austin Hayes for the Baltimore Orioles and uh, obviously Gabrielle Noah on the hill for the Birds. Now, it'll be interesting to see. We saw Hayes get a taste of it. His major league debut came this past week at Camden Yards, uh, so we will see how he handles that starting role today. He had a pretty big ovation when he came up there in the ninth inning of his debut. He really did, and I and I think it's well justified because uh, this is a guy that is the future. He has moved up the ranks in terms of the minor league organization and and also nationally now he's starting to get the recognition because he wasn't as far up on the prospects list as uh, some others that have been there. Uh, but he is getting noticed now, not just here locally, because the Orioles obviously think highly of him. But from a national perspective, uh, he is uh, moving up the ladder, too, in terms of spots and what kind of a prospect he is touted to be uh, in this organization. So it's good to see Austin Hayes getting a shot today in right field. Now, that's the other point. Uh, you, you see Austin Hayes getting a start. J.J. Hardy is back uh, off the disabled list, but he's going to be in a reserve role right now for the time being, and you would expect that with the way Tim Beckham has played shortstop to this point and also produced offensively as he has since coming over here uh, from Tampa. So it's going to be interesting to see, see, see how see how a lot of it will have to do with wins and losses uh, especially on this 10-game road trip, which obviously didn't get off to a very good start last night with the 5-0 loss. Uh, but, you know, Wade Miley gives up the home run to Encarnacion in, in the first inning, a two-run shot. Had they were able to turn a double play uh, earlier before uh, Encarnacion came up, you might only have a two-run deficit at that point, but it turned out to be three. And then Miley was pretty good up until the sixth inning when a couple guys got on, another run crossed the plate, and Buck had to go get him. But uh, overall, I thought Miley threw the ball fairly well last night. Uh, and, and again, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with Stan on this in that all of a sudden it looks as though the Orioles might uh, exercise that uh, option and see, see what happens and, and bring him back next year. Do they? Do the Orioles have many left-handed starters? No, and that's part of the issue. Right. You know, you, and you're looking to put together a, another starting rotation that's obviously going to feature 
uh, Bundy and Gosman at the top end of it, regardless of whether they bring Tillman back on a one-year deal or, or not. But I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with Stan. I know Michael Regai didn't necessarily agree with it, but I'm in agreement with Stan. I think if you give him a million-dollar deal and load it with incentives to prove, uh, and then it's all on Chris to prove that he's right. But I, I still think to this point, and I've said it in the past, I don't think he's healthy. And I think that's a large part of what his issue is right now. Uh, he'll go through a couple of innings where he looks fairly decent. Uh, but then mechanically, with the shoulder, he's not so much over the top as he used to be. He has a lot of trouble a, a lot of times trying to hit the outside portion of the plate, especially against uh, left-handed pitching. Uh, with, a, with righties, if he's trying to hit the outer corner, he'll throw the ball across his body. Uh, it's not the over-the-top Chris Tillman that we've become to know over the last you know, four or five years. So this is, this is going to be a, something to really watch this offseason if anything comes about with the shoulder and whether or not he has to do anything uh, as far as getting it right. I do want to ask you though, just changing topics. We oh, you wanted me to, you wanted to ask me about the uh, Max Scherzer thing right, from last night. Right. Okay, interesting scenario last night in the Phillies uh, Nationals game, in where Odubel Herrera, who came into the game with a 20-game hitting streak, by the way, and in, and and wound up getting an infield hit later in the game uh, to uh, to to extend that streak to 21. But there's a situation in last night's game where Scherzer. Uh, Odubel Herrera was in the batter's box. He kind of stepped back, uh, but Scherzer went into the windup and threw strike three to Herrera, and Herrera looked back at the plate umpire like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was almost as if uh, Scherzer kind of quick-pitched him. Is that what you were? Yeah, and it seemed like Herrera had his arm out like, you know, like how Jeter would do, like, like arm out towards the umpire saying, like, right. give me some time. And the umpire just immediately went down to his crouch expecting the pitch, so he never really granted time to Odubel. Right, and we, we talked a little bit about this with Pete McCannon last night, the uh, skipper from the Phillies, and he said, you know, Max Scherzer wants to win at all costs. And he said, we've been quick pitched before. He says, And he said, I really didn't even consider that a quick pitch. Uh, as opposed to just Odubel not being ready in the batter's box. And uh, evidently the plate umpire didn't think he was either, so he went down into his crouch and he winds up uh, uh, calling strike three. Uh, you know, which and, and keep in mind, it was also Herrera who let the ball get over his head right. on the Michael A. Taylor inside the park grand slam last night. Uh -huh. And, you know, just like I was telling Stan, you people always tell you, Whenever you go to the ballpark, you never know what you're going to see. Well, that's something that in the 25 years that I've covered Major League Baseball, I've never seen an inside-the-park Grand Slam home run. So it happened last night. The Nationals wind up winning 11-10 to 10 over the Phillies. Their magic number to clinch the National League East is down to three because the Marlins did uh, beat the Braves last night in Atlanta. So... Uh, tonight they can clinch at least a tie with a win and a Marlins loss, and certainly a lot of Nationals fans are thinking tomorrow, Sunday, would be the day maybe for the champagne to pop. Oh, here's another interesting story. Going to Nats Clubhouse last night, or actually pregame to do some interviews. Right. And they've got the... They've got all the plastic rolled up above the lockers, oh. okay? And they took the carpet. They put a new carpet in, but they've laid it out in sections with, like, blue duct tape, 
okay, so that once the carpet gets drenched in champagne <laughs> and it smells to high heaven, they can just rip the carpet out and have the regular carpet that's in in the clubhouse just be right there. That's smart. So they 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 they're already taking precautions for a celebration <laughs> yeah. this weekend at Nats Park, and we're going to talk to Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, a very fine beat writer uh, who covers the Nats, who had a little bit of an interesting problem getting out of Miami as the Nats played three games there earlier this week. Wednesday, uh, the final game of that series came about, and then Thursday she tried to get out of town, and the flights uh, were all messed up, and she had to wind up driving up to Atlanta. We're going to talk to her about that and the Nationals, what to expect this weekend, all coming up next on the Bataround. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit GiveTheGoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's GiveTheGoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Here at Linex, we pride ourselves on protecting what matters most, which is why we're proud to partner with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital to support their mission of finding cures and saving children's lives. So during the month of September, we'll be making a donation to St. Jude for every bedliner sold in recognition of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. Because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. Visit linex.com slash give to St. Jude to learn more and get involved. Working as part of a team is strong. Working with a team of more than a million soldiers is Army strong. Join the U.S. Army and train in one of more than 150 career fields that's more options than any other military branch. Visit your local Army recruiter or log on to GoArmy.com for more. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. Money for college. More than 150 career paths. Up to 40000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40K bonus. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Press Box's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash Sports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square introduces the best 2017 breakfast on the go. The all-new Chick-fil-A hash brown scramble. Fresh eggs, hash browns, cheddar and Monterey Jack cheeses, plus either sausage or Chick-fil-A nuggets, all served hot and wrapped in a warm, scrumptious flour tortilla served with a side of dipping salsa. Want it to be ready when you get there? Download the Chick-fil-A app and order your hash brown scramble in advance. Stop by Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in White Marsh today 
and tell Steve I sent you. The Paracel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. And welcome back to the Bat Around. I am Craig Heist along with Stan the Fan. And if you're looking at a camera right now on a stream, you see an empty seat where Stan is. That's because he took off to go to the Stevenson football game today because he wants to hobnob with the president and sit in the president's box and have all the perks of just being a guest for the day. So he'll go ahead and shirk his duties of the last ha- last hour of the bat around today, leaving me to fly solo with Bonza Tufa, and we can handle it. We can more than handle it. Hey, the best shows are when it's only me and you. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Orioles getting set to take on the Indians today at 1 o'clock over at Progressive Field. And the Indians, of course, with that very impressive 16-game winning streak. And it'll be interesting to see how Gabrielle Noah fares today uh, against Josh Tomlin out uh, by the lake. And uh, the Nationals tonight at home against the Phillies, game three of their series with Edwin Jackson on the hill tonight for the Nationals. And we're going to bring in Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post right now, the very fine beat writer uh, for the Post who covers the Nationals. And Chelsea, I got to ask you before we get to baseball, got to tell our listeners what your last couple of days have been like trying to get out of Miami after Wednesday night's game and then getting back to Washington. Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I My flight out of Miami got canceled on Thursday morning, by which time there were no flights available out of in Florida until Monday, which felt a little too late. So um, the closest flight I could find that I knew was going to fly was in Atlanta, so I tried to make what was supposed to be a nine-hour drive to Atlanta, and it took 16 hours, and then was finally able to get home. But it was, uh, it was definitely an adventure, and I sat in a lot of traffic in Florida and southern Georgia and have now checked those two places off my list of places I didn't know <laughs> I needed to see. Well, I can imagine with everybody getting the evacuation order down there that the roads were just ridiculous, and that's that's what caused your delays. Definitely, yeah. It was uh, a lot of people trying to get out, which is great, but it was inconvenient for everyone, I'm sure. All right, Mark uh, Leiter tonight for the Phillies and uh, Edwin Jackson for the Nationals. And Ejax has pitched pretty well for this team since uh, being here at 5-4 and four with a 3-2-9 ERA. Uh, last night, though, i got to take it back to last night. Uh, they always tell us, no matter when you go to the ballpark, you're probably always going to see something you never expect. And last night I think we did because it's the first time I ever saw one, and that was an inside-the-park grand slam home run by Michael A. Taylor. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, it was, uh, you know, we actually, I didn't realize it at the time, but we'd seen one last year from Stephen Drew, um, which is just crazy because I, I didn't remember that, and you think I would remember something that weird, but um, it was it was nuts. I mean, that was just, and it's funny because, you know, he obviously had, had given up a home run similarly to the Phillies a year ago, it was just kind of like a, a weird coincidence moment, but that was pretty cool. And he's a guy who is really obviously becoming a superstar before our eyes this year. So to see that happen, 
kind of confirms what you already knew, which is that this guy is going to be something special and somebody who can create special moments. Yeah, and, uh, you know, speed kills, and there's no substitution for it, and we certainly saw it on that play last night. Right, and that's why with him, with Trey Turner, you know, this is a pretty fast team. It's kind of an underrated aspect of their game that I think is going to be more highly rated uh, in October. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, you, uh, the one thing I got on Twitter and on Facebook after the game last night was some people complaining about the bullpen rearing its ugly head again. Well, I, I don't know how much you can say that now, but certainly as you're about two and a half to three weeks away, from October baseball beginning and the postseason to see what happened with Oliver Perez last night and Sean Kelly. That can't be too uh, reassuring for Dusty Baker. No, I mean, you know, Perez has been pretty good all year. He's been really good all year, actually, and was just kind of due. You know, he's not a guy that's ever been perfect and had been really, really good, and I don't worry so much about that one. I think the one that's really, really disturbing is, is Sean Kelly, who's now given up. You know, averaging more than a home run every two innings. I mean, it's just astounding. I mean, no one's ever come close to that. I remember looking it up, yeah. and no, no relievers finished the season with a with a ratio even close to that. So I think, you know, he's a guy who, you know, you, you say has to figure it out. He doesn't. He can just not be on the postseason roster. And I think that more and more that's looking like what's going to happen. And, you know, people really had issue with Dusty putting him in that game last night. I don't. You know, they, they can afford a weird game now and then. They still won, but... You know, if you figure out Sean Kelly to be the same late inning guy he was last year, all of a sudden you have a weapon. But the only way you're going to figure that out is if you try. And they tried, and it didn't work. And I think now it's pretty clear that you just can't come into games like that. And, and that's a loss for them. I mean, that's the guy they've committed a lot of money to and now probably have to sit on for the rest of this year and, and hope he comes back better next year. Well, you know, these games in the postseason are always uh, a bullpen game in a lot of situations. And at least at this point it looks like the back three – with Kinsler uh, and, and, and also Matson, along with uh, Doolittle. And it was amazing last night to watch Sean Doolittle go through the next three hitters after Kelly had surrendered the home run to, to Franco. Uh, and and then all the, all the fans are kind of in the stands on edge, and then to watch Doolittle come in and do what he did, uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, he's, he's a really impressive guy. I know he's had some adventures there in the ninth inning, but I think what's really stood out is that in the midst of kind of some games that really got away, he hasn't let them get away. You know, he hasn't broken. And I think that that's something that you're going to appreciate more a couple weeks from now because he's a guy who literally is just unfazed. You know, I, I, you just don't see him freak out. And I think, I think that is exactly what these guys need. It's, it's not something they've had. And it sets a really nice tone that like, hey, not everything's going to go perfect, but that doesn't mean it has to go badly. And I think that that's, you know, something he's brought that, you know, Madison's been pretty perfect. Kinsler's worked around some trouble. And you, you just have a lot of confidence that even when things go a little crazy, those guys aren't going to, you know, kind of fold. You know, Dusty always talks about, you know, well, I wanted to get to 10 games, and from 10 games we go to 20 and then 30. They've reached that mark. But the flip side over on the West Coast is that the Dodgers have lost 14 of 16, I think it is, and all of a sudden – the Nationals find themselves about five games out of the best record in the league, and I'm wondering, is that something that Dusty and the guys maybe have their sights set on, if you will, because of the way the Dodgers have not played that great of baseball over the last, you know, two and a half to three weeks? 
Yeah, you know, actually, it's funny after seeing them lose again last night. I was just going to ask Dusty about today, but I, you know, I think I don't. If you're them, you want the best record because you get home field advantage the whole way through, and that's great. I don't know if you want to be the number one team in the National League heading into the playoffs. I, I really think you'd rather play the Central than potentially have to match up with the Diamondbacks or the Rockies and have all that travel and kind of the craziness that comes in those two offensive ballparks. They're one and two in, in you know baseball. It's a different game in both it of is. those places. And, you know, I don't know that these guys want to be in a slugfest. I, you know, they know what they're getting with the Cubs and the Dodgers. They've handled the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. But in a five-game series, you know, one extra West Coast trip is, is a big deal, I think. And, and I, you know, I think the other side of it is these guys have never played well when they're the favorites. To come in and, you know, with the Dodgers having all this pressure, the Cubs as defending World Series champions, it looked for the longest time like the Nats are going to be able to slide in there and no one's going to think anything of them, and then bam, you know, they have a great chance to really kind of sneak up on people. They've not played well when they're the guys that are getting stuck up on. So I think, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for them not pushing too hard for that best record because I don't think that the payoff is ultimately that big, particularly when, you know, you're, you know in a seven-game series against the Dodgers, maybe it matters, and, and maybe that's when you want it, but you're, you're better than the American League teams anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of torn. I'll be interested to see what they say because I wouldn't want to go to Colorado or Arizona in the first round and, and kind of have your pitch, pitching staff take that hit and, and everything else. Well, and not only that, when you think about how well the Diamondbacks are pitching at this point, that's another yeah. concern just in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they've been really good. They, they played these guys pretty tough out there. You know, the Nats actually handled them pretty well, but um, yeah, that's a good team. I mean, that's a really scary team, and a team that like hasn't been there, so doesn't know that they're not supposed to. You know, it's not supposed to be easy. And I think that those teams are are really scary. So, you know, I I think that they've planned all along mentally to have the Cubs, and and I think that, you know, I think any postseason that these the Nats can get into, not as a favorite, is one in which they're going to fare better. And and whether that's whatever you think of that, I think it's proven to be true. And and I think that they shouldn't push too hard for that best record, especially if it means overworking their relievers or their veterans or anything like that. We're talking with Chelsea James of the Washington Post as the Nationals get set to take on the Phillies again tonight. Down at Nats Park, uh, the third game of this four-game series. Uh, you know, I walk in the clubhouse yesterday and I see the all the uh, the plastic rolled up above the, uh, the lockers and I see that they changed the carpet out and it's kind of a beige carpet, if you will, and uh, it's set down in sections that they can rip it right back up after the celebration uh, takes place, whether it's uh, tomorrow or maybe the first part of next week. Uh, but nonetheless, they're ready to wrap this thing up with a magic number of three. They are. I was surprised to see that yesterday. I mean, they've never clinched at home, and it certainly seems like they know what they're doing. And, you know, I, I think they're just ready. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal to them. Um, it's sort of been a foregone conclusion since April, maybe even since February. You know, you were never going to talk about it if these guys won the division. It was always if they did. So I think it'll be really nice. I, you know, I initially thought that they, the clinching would mean, okay, we're going to do a little on a more controlled schedule. We're going to take care of Kinsler and Madsen. We're going to rest Mercy and Zimmerman and keep them healthy. But now I don't know with the best record thing being available. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But but I, I think clinching is just going to let them set up their pitching, probably take a lot of pressure off their, their bullpen, and, and really not be anything more emotional than that. Well, Ryan Zimmerman, 
uh, hit probably one of the longest home runs I've seen hit uh, in Marlins Park uh, down there to the opposite field into the upper deck. Uh, and not a whole lot of people go there unless they're John Carlos Stanton. So uh, okay. you're up over 30 home runs with Zim at 31. He's approaching 100 RBI. You know, who on this team right now is is in the MVP conversation throughout the league? You know, I, I think it's Rendon. I think mm-hmm. he's the guy, which is crazy. You know, you would never have thought that out of those four or five, if you want to count Max, that it'd be him. But with Harp getting hurt, Murphy kind of not being bad, but just a little bit slower than he has been. And Zimmerman kind of going through his troughs in the middle of the season that all of a sudden Rendon's been the guy who's been there the whole way. He leads the league in war. He's just been the the most consistent and best player on this team all year. And I think I think he's got to be in that conversation. I don't think he wins it. I don't think he's got enough star power to do that. But, you know, I think he's the guy, which isn't to say that, you know, Harper and, and Zimmerman and Murphy aren't in that conversation too. I think I mean, my main takeaway is, holy moly, you've got four legitimate people in that conversation from the Nats and maybe four of the top ten guys in the league, and that's that's pretty staggering, really. Yeah, and uh, Gio, uh, with 14 wins now, Scherzer joined him last night, Strasburg and Tanner Roark in double digits. Uh, I guess Dusty's main thing is to, you know, just get these guys to the finish line so that they're ready to go in October. Uh, but in terms of pitching, and we know it's pretty good in the National League uh, with the teams that are going to be there uh, in October, how do you see them stacking up uh, as we get toward the postseason? I, I think that they're subtly the, the most solid rotation. I really do. I, you know, I think that a lot of other people got a lot of hype, and the Dodgers rotation is going to get talked about. But <clears throat> when you look at Strasburg, Scherzer and then Strasburg, if Strasburg's healthy, he's a top-five pitcher all the time. There has never been a time where he's been healthy where he hasn't been a top-five pitcher in the National League. Yep. You look at what Gio's done and the way he's handled in-game adversity, he's having a year. You know, every once in a while, people just have years, and he's having one, and then it lines up perfectly for them, you know. And then if you get into a seven-game series, Tanner is figuring it out. He looks great lately, you know, and, and I think that that's... And he's a guy, too, you know is not going to back down. And, and so you've got these four guys that... I think you have to have a lot of faith in it. It doesn't mean they're going to, you know, pitch you to victory, but I think you can say, you know, that we're happy with these four. Like we will take whatever these four give us. Right. You know, we've built a rotation that we can believe in. I think they have to be really happy with it, and it's carried them all year. And you know, I, I think you take Scherzer in a game one. You could argue for Kershaw, but I, I'm not really sure outside of Max and Kershaw who you really take who you bet on more. You know, right. I think that those are two guys, and maybe we'll get to see that a couple times, but. You know, Max is something special, and obviously had an off night last night. But I, you know, I think that, you know, he's he's a difference maker. Last question for you before I let you go, and that is Zimmerman and Geo, and I'm thinking Worth, probably the three main guys. In in terms of, they've been here for all the playoff issues in the first round. How much does that weigh on this team's mind heading into the postseason? You know, I was thinking about it, and I think it weighs on them a whole lot less this year than it has before, simply because there's so much turnover and so many people with good playoff memory. You know, I think you know you've got Ryan Madsen who has had a lot of success, and and he's been on teams that win. You have Howie Kendrick come in, who's played a lot of playoff games. None of these guys have been a part of a Nats collapse. I mean, 
Kinsler, Doolittle, Madsen, Albers, none of those guys have been in a bullpen that fell apart, you know? Right. They, they don't know better. So I, I, I think there's, like, a lack of institutional memory of the bad in a way that's really good. And I think guys who do remember Worth, Zimmerman, Scherzer, aren't the guys who are going to get consumed by that. They're the guys who are going to be fueled by it. So I, I think I think they've really brought in a lot of veteran guys who aren't, affected by that because they weren't here for all of it and I think that but they also have playoff experience and I think that that's sort of exactly what you want and you have to be really optimistic that this is the team that's sort of built to to vanquish the demons if you want to say that but yeah. as we've seen it, it usually comes down to one pitch or one inning or one swing and at some point it feels kind of like it comes down to luck. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it, and we'll be along for the ride. Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, thanks so much for joining us on this Saturday on the Bataround. Thanks for having me. All right. And uh, we'll see Chelsea later on down at the ballpark. We're going to take this time out, take a break, come back and wrap up things right here on the Bataround, and we'll be back in a moment. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square introduces the best 2017 breakfast on the go. The all-new Chick-fil-A hash brown scramble. Fresh eggs, hash browns, cheddar and Monterey Jack cheeses, plus either sausage or Chick-fil-A nuggets, all served hot and wrapped in a warm, scrumptious flour tortilla served with a side of dipping salsa. Want it to be ready when you get there? Download the Chick-fil-A app and order your hash brown scramble in advance. Stop by Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in White Marsh today and tell Steve I sent you. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it. And I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto. And I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car. So they actually went to the dealership and got it and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it and it's actually really nice. Something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto. 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS. 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We-, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. 
Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. And that's going to do it for us on the bat around today. Keep in mind the Orioles and Indians at Progressive Field at 1 o'clock. And that comes up uh, in the next hour. Gabriella Noah on the hill for the Orioles. And Josh Tomlin for the Indians as the Indians look to make it 17 in a row. We'll see if the Orioles can do something. Keep in mind this team's only scored one run in the last two games. And then tonight down the road at Nats Park, it's the Phillies and Nationals game three of their four-game series. The Phillies, uh, just a struggling ball club, uh, really hung in there last night, though. A lot of good fight uh, from their young players. And from what I understand from some scouts, this is a team to be watching in the next year or two. Uh, as they try to rebuild and get themselves back into respectability in the National League's Eastern Division. Uh, but a lot of young talent on the Phillies. We'll see how that goes uh, for Pete Mackinnon and everybody associated with uh, him and, and the organization. Uh, and, you know, it, it's tough to see them struggle. The Ryan Howard years are behind them, uh, but they do have some nice young players. Uh, also today, coming up uh, in about uh, 20 seconds or so, uh, the kickoff uh, of Maryland Towson down at uh, the University of Maryland after their stunning win last week against Texas on the road, 51-41. We'll see if uh, DJ Durkin makes it two straight today, and they should. It'll be inter- Yeah, they should. I mean, Towson did not have a good game last week against Morgan State despite the win, but it's going to be interesting to see how Maryland does their first full game with their backup quarterback due to their starter being out for the season now. Right, so that's it for us on the Bat Around. We'll be back, Stan Charles and myself, next Saturday morning at 10. Have a good sports Saturday, everyone.